Welcome to Unplug It, our seventh episode. It's been a little while between drinks for, for us and fair to suggest there's been a fair bit that's happened around the St Kilda Football Club. Some of it good, some of it bad, some of it tragic as we know. So we'll talk about uh, all of that over the course of the next uh, hour or so. We'll be joined by the St Kilda captain, Jaron Geary, who uh, was wandering the hallways and was able to pounce on him for 10 minutes. We'll also catch up with Lee Montagna, one of the all-time greats of the club as uh, part of our feature interview this week. Darren Parkin is my name with Nick Splitter and Aaron McGrath and hopefully we'll be able to speak over the next couple of weeks about a wrap of trade, a wrap of draft and, and just basically where St Kilda finishes as a complete full stop on the 2019 year. Uh, we will also be joined uh, by one of our naming rights partners for the first time in Sinorama as well. The Unplugged 2019 Season Review Program brought to you by our friends at Sinorama in St Kilda. The only name you need to know for any kind of sign or visual display. From A-boards to billboards, vehicle wraps and signs for any business from coffee shops to corporate conglomerates. If you're in business uh, you and you need a sign, and Sinorama St Kilda is the place to go. Just Google St Kilda Signs. Or head to stkildasigns.com.au and tell them Unplugged sent you. That's stkildasigns.com.au for all your business and corporate signage. Boys, as we welcome you, it would be remiss of us not to obviously reflect on the passing of our former captain, our second longest serving captain in Danny Frawley a couple of weeks ago in uh, tragic circumstances. It was a, a tremendous tribute and memorial service for him uh, held a couple of Wednesdays ago, but yeah, that was a, a very unfortunate uh, piece of news that sort of filtered through in the aftermath of the season, Nick. Yeah, it was a. Um, it's been a, a real roller coaster of emotions over the last, I guess, month since our, our last episode. Obviously, the news uh, of, of Spud's passing um, took us all by by surprise. Was was shock, um, and then just pure sadness, I guess, for, for a lot of us and, and grief. Um, Beautiful day that that Wednesday out at Moorabbin. Um, blue skies, sun was shining. I think he would have loved it there. And uh, you know, it was it was a, a nice a nice touch by the club to do that for the fans. There were a lot of people there that, that wanted to be able to say goodbye and and kind of you know reflect on on the impact that that Danny Frawley had on on our club and and on them as people. Um, really really tough time for a lot of St Kilda fans, a lot of football fans in general. But, uh, it was uh, it was a nice moment. We got to have a beer in the center circle. And, yeah. uh, I think that he would have been he would have been pretty happy with that too. Yeah, I think as a, as a lot of people have have said, it, you almost wish that the the turnout at Moorabbin and the all of the flowers and and the things that we saw is something that he could have seen. Obviously, before he passed away, to get that appreciation for for how respected and, and loved he was, and and there, there was obviously plenty of sad moments out of that day, but. To me, probably the the saddest, but also the most moving was the lap of honour where they they came back with the hearse and and went around the ground and just for somebody that would have played so much footy there that, that it would have arrived there as a teenager in the in the early eighties to to have that one last lap of his home ground was was something that I thought was quite touching and yeah H it's been I think it's something that's probably touched you don't know probably how you're going to deal with that until. Something happens. You have your friends. You have your families. You, I was lucky enough to work with Spud a bit, but yet you have your footballing heroes. But this is one that I think's hit our club pretty hard. Uh, most certainly, yeah. Um, as as I posted up on my own personal mm. pages and that sort of thing, it, um, I had the number two on my first footy Guernsey, and I mean it was a bit of influence from I think from my mum, but um, <laughs> yeah, you, you look back these days and you just realise why he was so revered by Sakura fans, by fans of opposition. Um, teams and um he, he followed it on uh, into his media career his coaching career and 
it, it was just a, a big name of the game that just every, everyone loved. And I obviously I didn't get to make it along to the Wednesday afternoon with you, but we we made along to the best and fairest. We heard yeah. the, heard from Low, we heard from Harves, Robbo, and you could just see on them. I mean, they'd had a couple of days and they were able to deliver their their speeches quite well. And but you could still see how broken they were, and mm. it, it was just so big to everyone. He was, he was, and and yeah, it was um something you don't expect to, to sort of have to deal with. I think it's one of those ones where you'll look back and you'll remember where you were when you found out. It's just one of those ones that sort of stops you in time for a moment. And, yeah, I think the tributes from the, the St Kilda family, it goes to show how great football clubs are. We know how great sort of our own football club is, but, you know, the arms around the family and all of that support from the, uh, the St Kilda Football Club, we do obviously know it's important at these times, if you are struggling to uh, call Lifeline 131114 or head to lifeline.org.au, uh, etc. And all of those certainly heed the words of Spud, that it is. Uh, it used to be considered, uh, or the, the tougher thing used to be to sort of suffer in silence, but now manning up is sort of putting your hand up if you are in a, in a difficult situation. So... Um, Spud was a gem, and we certainly um, uh, certainly do pass on our deepest sympathies to the family, and may he rest in peace. Now, we do have a couple of special guests for this edition of Unplugged. We are going to kick it off with the first of those before we get into our season review. During that season review, we'll also take a look at some of the trade prospects. But we do welcome our first special guest on this edition of Unplugged. We are delighted on this week's edition of Unplugged to catch up with 287-game St Kilda star, a member of the 2009 and 10 Grand Finals and doing some terrific stuff in the media landscape at the moment. I speak of Lee Montagna. Joey, thanks for jumping on and having a chat to us. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me. Now, first of all, the, the year that was, you're only recently out of the St Kilda system on the back end of 2017, and, and a bit's changed since then, as we know, with, with Brett Ratton taking the reins. He wasn't at the club when, when you were there, obviously, back then. But what have you made of, I guess, the progress this year, going from four wins to nine, but in the face of a, a fair bit of difficulty at times? Yeah, I think the, the difficulty you touch on, probably something I think that, um, most of the football world probably overlooked how significant it was. I mean, when you think back to um, to the issues with Phil and Robertson, of course, at the start of the year, and, and Paddy McCartan and his heart issues, uh, sorry, his concussion issues, and then, you know, of course, um, Jack Stephen having his mental health break, and, and there were just a lot of things, and even their skipper, Joan Geary, you know, and the injuries that he, he suffered as well were pretty significant. So I think that, would, that probably was, was overlooked a little bit, how significant that was. I know the boys started well, but... I just think as the year went on, it, it took its toll a little bit and, and wore them down, and, and they probably had to, to dig into their, um, you know, their depth a little bit, which is probably an area of the list that, that they sort of need to keep working on. So, look, I think nine was reasonable. I, I think the expectation of the year before is probably not the true form line. I mean, four wins the year before was a real disappointment. So you probably had to go to the, the two years before that with 11 and 12 wins is a bit more of a benchmark. So I think... The club is probably at where they're at. You know, they're a team that's just outside of the, the, the top eight or nine teams in the competition at the moment. We've uh, got plenty of scope to improve. Joey, Nick Splitter here, mate. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, 
obviously, as you said, it was was a disappointing year in some regards, but there are some some I guess some reasons as to why that happened. Um, what would you say is the major positive to come out of this year, and what are you looking forward to seeing from Brett Ratton's team in in twenty twenty? Oh, I think that the improved offense, I mean, this year they, they stripped it back and, and really focused on, on getting some consistency with their defense. And I think we saw that, particularly in the first half of the year, they were really strong behind the ball. They had a really good system going. Um, and that's why they were getting the wins the wins earlier. They were, they were able to sort of nullify team scoring. And then as the season went on, and as I said, they, their depth was probably tested and they probably started to lose a little bit of confidence in their system. That fell away. And then when that happens, it becomes harder on offense to, to then really try and hit the scoreboard. So I think Brett Ratton will just have that really nice blend between offense and defense. And I think that's what we're seeing with all the strong teams in the competition. You look at you know Richmond, who are really good both sides of the football. The Giants, you know, have really improved their defense. We've always known they've been a good offensive team. Uh, Geelong, you know, same sort of thing, very strong defensively, but obviously we know they can score. And the Brisbane Lions as well. So I think that's where the competition is heading to have it. Just an even balance of both sides of the football and I think Brett Ratton's got that ability to uh, to bring that into the footy club. They've got the good ground in their their defence, and now they can just keep adding layers to their offence. G'day, Joey. Aaron here. Great to have you on here. Um, obviously, you had the position with Frio this year, um, so you've obviously seen a fair bit of Brad Hill. So what do you think he can add to the team, and where do you think he slides in? Yeah, look, I think he's a genuine start. You're right. I watched uh, a lot of uh, Fremantle games behind the goals this year, and his ability to cover the ground at speed is what stands out. I mean, he gets from one side of the ground to the other or from one end to the other quicker than any player in the competition. He's just got a high uh, cruising speed. So I think under the roof uh, at Marvel, he's going to suit him down to the ground. Um, if the offense, as I said, allows him to, to flourish and, you know, they, they switch the ball and, and get the ball to the open side or, you know, or give him those handball receives across half-back, he can, he's certainly a line-breaker and can do some damage. I'm, I'm very excited to see him. Uh, in the St Kilda Colours, and certainly it's a wing. A wing's his best spot, without a doubt. He can get up and down the ground. He can even potentially play as a, maybe start as a half forward and then come up the ground and, and utilise his ball-winning ability, a bit like what the Giants did with Lockie Whitfield this year, who would start as a forward, but really would just come up in the midfield and, and be their sort of, uh, you know, their, their go-to with ball in hand. So, no, looking forward to seeing Brad Hill and, and Jack Billings on the other wing. Looking at your time as, as well, and, and I guess this is the time of year where... Um, you know, there is a lot of that reflection on careers when we get to grand final stages. And I understand, having spoken to a lot of guys, that the, a lot of the, the past players at St Kilda get together at sort of this time of year, those that played in those grand finals in 2009 and 10. Uh, does that get sort of easier every year in, in terms of the pain of, of 9 and 10? Or, or when you see teams break droughts like the Bulldogs in 2016 and, and Richmond the year after, does, does it make it a little bit harder to swallow? Yeah, no, it certainly is getting easier each year, no doubt early after we'd lost in those periods, it was more difficult. I still always love watching the grand finals, but probably struggle to watch the celebrations and the, and the players get their medals. For me now, it's much easier. And even some guys I know that, that really struggle, you know, guys like um, Nick Rewalt and BJ and a few of the other boys, I know they, even speaking to Rui just recently the other day, found it a lot easier this year watching Richmond. And I think as time passes, and you, you reflect a little bit more and, and realise there are more sometimes important things than, than just the medal. And, and we've got the journey and the experience and the friendship of going through all that together, which you know, which is, is a huge part of, of what winning a premiership is. It's more about the journey and getting to that, you know, the peak of the mountain together, rather than just getting you know dropped onto the onto that peak of the mountain. So we've we sort of got a bit more of a, I suppose, an attitude of being able to reflect in a different light, and, and we're certainly comfortable that you know, as, 
as we know through those those years, we gave our all, and that's all you can ask with anything in life. You give your best, and uh, and you walk away, and um, and the boys are pretty content. Although there's always going to be that that little part of your career and the resume missing with the medal, but um, you know that's sport and, and, and that's life. Joey, you, you mentioned that, that one of the biggest things that you can take away from your time was that friendship and, and mateship and, and the togetherness of, of that team. What what was it about that unit in, you know, 08, 9, 10, um, et cetera, that, yeah. that kind of made it so special? What what was it that kind of brought you guys together? Yeah, it's a good question. It's the respect. It was the respect and trust that you had in every single player. I mean, there was no better feeling than that five minutes before a game in the rooms where we'd, we'd sort of give each other a handshake and a hug and look each other in the eye and you just... You just knew what you were going to get from your mate next to you. And that's what, what really the bond that we've got, as much as we, you know, we're mates off the field and went on footy trips. And you do that with a lot of other players. You, you do that with a lot. I've gone on a lot of footy trips with guys that I no longer speak to or were friends with guys that you, you very rarely see. But that particular sort of group um, and the ones that are still very connected have just got a, a bond through respect and trust. And we gave our all. You know, you gave everything for your mate. You gave everything for the team. Um and that's all you could ask. So that's the best way to describe it. That um, you know, it's a bit different to just having friendships or guys that you would socially have a good time with. It was a real sort of tight knit group that you could look across it to your mate on the left or the right, and you just knew what they were going to give. And and that's what footy's all about. And that's why you know when young kids came into the footy club, it was all about you know we used to speak about being liked versus respected. And um, everyone wants to be liked, but it's not liked that keeps you friendship blokes. It's being respected, and um, and that's what that group had. Now, speaking of friendships and bonds and everything like that, so the draft that you came through in, obviously we had the revolt Kajitski before you, but the group that came in with you was probably a bit of a super group. It filled quite a few spots of, with you and Ball and Delsano, Clark, Maguire. How did that group yep. come in and how did you all get along? You're still still good with mates with all them and how, how are they Yeah, going? Yeah, well, yeah, no, that's a, we, we had a really tight um, bond at the start and, and we were always spending a lot of time together and initially the first couple of years end of season it was just us as a group that went away together and we were, we were really tight um so we were sort of lucky in that respect but again as we've sort of gotten older and you know that's now 18 19 years ago you know we, we're all still uh, obviously going to be friends forever but harder to see a lot of those guys and really as much as you know david clark and, and maddie mcguire uh, and even to a little bit of an extent luke ball uh, we're all friends because probably uh, particularly sort of Matt and Xavier were part of that, that sort of nine and ten teams. You know, it's probably the guys that we don't see as often, but um, and Luke Ball sort of fits somewhere in between because he was, he was there in 09 and then was obviously at the Pies in 2010. But um, no, they're fond memories, and I was very lucky to come to with those guys. They made me a better player purely by their competitiveness and uh, and their determination early, I and mean, it taught me uh, what it was what was needed to work hard and, and probably to have those guys your age to compete with, you know, whether it was in the gym or in your running sessions or those sorts of things. So we really pushed each other, and I think that's what helped us get the best out of each other. Lee Montagna is with us. If I get this timeline wrong, I apologise. So as I understand, you broke your leg in your first game against Collingwood, which was in 2002. And then for the next couple of years, Grant Thomas primarily used you, it seemed, as a small forward, sort of half forward, who sort of pinch hit through the middle. And was it 2006 that you you started to play really regular midfield time? And and was that sort of the moment where you you sort of really felt that you'd, uh, you'd arrived at AFL level? Yeah, spot on. Yeah, first year, just the one senior game and, and had a broken ankle. And then in and out of the side for probably the next three years, I was probably one that just still needed to work on my football and was always sort of quite uh, quite small and, and needed to work on the contested side and just trying to find a regular spot. It was a pretty strong team, you know, still made prelims in, in 04 and 05. And then 
um, and was played as a, as a half forward, small forward. Then in 2006, you're right, I, I got the opportunity to, to start off on playing a few run with roles. I actually got a bit of a, a few tagging opportunities um, on the likes of Jason Akimanis and, and Daniel Wells and, and a few guys. And, um, and from there, I was able to do a reasonable job to, to then hold my spot and sort of play a bit more wing through that period. And that's, you're right, when I found that I was now a regular in that senior team. And that's when you start to feel more comfortable, when you, when you know you're going to get a game each week and you can just continue to improve rather than sort of worrying about whether you're going to get picked or not. Um, and you know, the career sort of flourished from, from sort of 2006 onwards. Joey, on a couple of the previous episodes of, of Unplugged, we've had some guys, the likes of Spider Everett, uh, Stephen Milne, Adam Schneider, and one of the things that those guys all have in common is that they're all a bit of a larrikin, loved a bit of a laugh, and had some fun in the locker room. You were probably in that same uh, that same range earlier in your career, especially as, as a younger bloke. What's the what's the greatest prank you've seen at the footy club in your time? Oh, the greatest prank, God, that's a hard one. I remember one oh, one day, Cosy caught a possum and was giving us the shits. <laughs> where we lived together, there's a tree above us that kept making these noises. So Cosy set out a bit of a possum trap because he's a bit of a country lad, was able to catch it. And then he took it to the footy club and stuck it in one of the boys' lockers uh, <laughs> in, in the early, early in the morning. So when the, when the, the uh, young fellow, Barry Brooks, opened his locker, uh, the possum quickly jumped out and was, was running around the, uh, the change rooms going mad. So that was probably something I remember that sticks out that uh, was very quite funny. And then it got quite dangerous because the possum was was cutting loose, and uh, the boys started running away from it. So, uh, yeah, that, that was uh, one that sticks out. But, yeah, plenty of pranks around, you know, car moving blokes' cars and all those sorts of things. But, um, yeah, that's that's one that I remember. Uh, just following on from what Darren was mentioning about before about positional changes, that sort of thing, um, you're pretty well finished in the back line, um, sort of marshalling the troops a little bit and a bit of the rebound footy and all that sort of thing. Did you sort of base your game on anything? Because it kind of felt a bit like of a Circa Aussie Jones kind of... Um, how he played his game and that sort of thing. Did you take any inspiration from anyone or anything like uh, that? Funny you say, Aussie Jones, in my career when I was younger, Aussie was sort of someone I looked up to and sort of based my game around because he was sort of a wingman and, uh, and played similar and then he did, he played a lot of half-back. But no, we just evolved through necessity. Um, at that time at St Kilda, we had a, a younger side. Um, you know, I was probably getting a little bit slower and, it was a bit easier to play across half-back and, and a bit more experience to, to use um, my leadership and, and ball kicking out of there. So it just more evolved. So I didn't really look to anyone to uh, to try and emulate. It was more just doing whatever, or what came naturally to me playing that role. And um, I really enjoyed it. I actually liked having that challenge of something different after sort of playing so many years as a, as a wing sort of um, midfielder. Um, it was nice to actually go and learn sort of, you know, the bit of the craft of, of playing as a, as a half-back and the angles and, and the positional play, where to sit off, where to push up. So I actually really enjoyed that challenge. And, um, yeah, I think it, it certainly helped the team as well to ha- just have that bit of an experienced head back there with, with the younger guys, with the likes of, you know, Jimmy Webster and, and Shane Savage and, uh, and a young Dylan Robinson back there. From your final year in, in 2017, the last one from me, was there a, a player in particular that you thought, you know, this is the guy that, that I'm going to observe you know, over the course of, of his career because I'm sort of excited about what he has to offer? Is it a Jay Gresham type that, that's got that sort of exciting mix of forward and mid? And we heard Brett Ratton speaking a, a little bit about that. Is there one perhaps that um, you always sort of earmarked from, from an early stage to, to be a star? Yeah, early days. I, it was probably Jack Billings' early days, about 2014-15. Sort of I, I did a fair bit of work with him 
uh, with his footy. But you're right, it, was, it probably was Gresham by the time I left. Um, I really warmed to him. He's a you know, northern suburbs boy like myself, uh, a bit of a lad like myself, and just had that bit of swagger. And I like the guys that have got that bit of confidence. And um, he certainly has that and, and really enjoys his company. He's a, he's a good kid. So he's one that I'm excited to sort of watch as he goes on and, and great to see him continually improving. And probably Ben Long was the other one. Just, again, just another terrific kid that, you know, moves down from Darwin and um, he's got a, a real sort of a swagger and a confidence about him that I, that I like. And, and he's got some real toughness and, and abilities. He just needs to sort of cement himself in the side and, and find a, a regular spot. But I can see him being a, a long-term player. Like, you know, like a few of those forwards that have made a name for themselves with their speed and pressure and, and what they've done to that Richmond Footy Club. So probably Gresham and Ben Longer too that, uh, that I really warm to and, and look forward to watching. And just to finish off, basically your favourite moment. Um, you've kicked quite a few nice goals from the 50 on the boundary. Um, you got the winner against Melbourne that time. But which moment would just stand out for you overall? In a game or just as a just career highlight? A career highlight. Um, yep. Yeah, Career highlight, no doubt, it's making your first grand final. I mean, that, that Western Bulldogs prelim, um, you know, it was a tight, tense game. We were under the pump there for a while. And um, to get away with that win, you know, with really toe-poking it off the, in the goal square, and you, you know, you realise you're going to make your first grand finals at a pretty special moment. So that one will always stick with me. And sort of an in-game one, um, I think it was 2015, maybe, was when we came back from about 50 points down against the Western Bulldogs. Yep. And, it was, and it was watching Jack Billings, really. And as I said, because I'd sort of worked with him, uh, as a kid, and, and him turning it on in that second half and, and kicking that goal, you know, to get us to come back from that big of a deficit. When we were a team that was struggling, uh, I was really proud. That was more of a proud moment as a bit of a, a father figure watching that uh, that unfold as well. So they're probably the two that stick out for me. Uh, Lee, thank you very much for, for joining us. I do remember in that 2009 grand final tour, of all of your career highlights, I remember the goal you kicked late in the third quarter, the snap off the front of the pack. I've hardly heard a louder roar from a crowd than that one when you when you put the Saints in front. Unfortunately, obviously, we just fell short. But but thank you for, for joining us. Well done on a super career, and we look forward to your uh, ongoing media work. Yeah, thank you. Unfortunately, that was the last goal we kicked for the yeah. game. We didn't kick one in the last quarter, so unfortunately. But uh, no, thanks, guys. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Lee Montagna there, brought to you by Sonorama St Kilda. We are now going to sink our teeth into the 2019 season review. He grabs the moment by the neck and gives it a shake. The Saints are in front. The Saints will win another title. Three from three at Marvel and three and one for the season. So 9 and 13 for the Saints. Seb Ross, 12 Brownlow votes, led the way. 11 to Jack Billings. Seb Ross winning the best and fairest from Rowan Marshall and Jack Steele. Probably a slight surprise that Jack Billings didn't finish top three in that. But all of the awards have been done and dusted. We now await the list changes. But our season review, first and foremost, there was a lot of reasons for, for optimism, but at the same time, plenty of reasons for frustration. We, we should probably start with the good. Uh, the good were, and we'll get you get us all to, to put some nominations through, some players that took steps forward, so players that either arrived at the club and made us better or simply became better players than they were 12 months earlier. Well, I think obviously the, the obvious yes. one is Marshall. Mm-hmm. Um, and looking ahead, if we do land a rider for with next year, mm-hmm. he is only going to help him improve again and again. It's, it's something that we're looking now going, we have got the next big Ruckman coming through. We do, absolutely. And and whispers out of the club seem to indicate that they rate him better as a forward 
than a than yep. a ruckman. You can imagine what what he's done this year as, as a first year ruckman. Essentially, um, if he can take some of that into being a kind of a, a half time forward, half time ruck, um, and, and really utilise his talents across the ground in the air, his foot skill. Um, you know, he can be a really dangerous player for us. Yeah. So if right like base rider comes in, he plays a bit of ruck. Marshall will rest in the forward line and. It's the size of him. The defenders who are going to really go with him. That's going to be yeah. A, it's it, we've seen him mark. We've seen him kick goals already, and he's got a beautiful kick. And it explains it, the certainly explains the Josh Bruce decision, which we'll, we'll touch on a little bit later on. Well, doesn't necessarily explain it, but it gives evidence in support of why he might why he might do that. Um, I guess with with that, too, I mean, Ryder's centre bounce works phenomenal. Uh, some of his tap work, unfortunately, we've seen some of his good tap work firsthand, which uh, took a game away from us uh, a couple of years ago in Adelaide. But yeah, I mean, having him there, Max King, who they envisage will, will start straight away. Memory probably being a little bit smaller is a little bit more versatile, and then sort of how they set up after that, and, and hopefully going after Ben in in twelve months' time. Um, ben King, that is, who won the grand final sprint at two hundred and three centimeters, but. Yeah, Rowan Marshall, one of the elite big men of the competition. I think Jack Billings as well, particularly in the first half of the year, had a career best season in terms of ball use and, and consistency. Yeah, and I think you're know, going back to the, the forward line as well. I think you, you mentioned Membry um, and what what he's able to mm. do with a bit of pressure off him, with potentially Marshall moving forward, King coming in. He, he had a really good year for us as well. Um, looking at some of the, the data here from Stats Insider, um, he had the same amount of shots, seventy two shots on goal as he had in 2018 but improved his accuracy by 14%, which is massive. Um, it was one of the, the few St Kilda players to, to um, have over 50% accuracy. In which fact, is extraordinary. It was actually 61% yeah. accuracy for the season, which is, which is amazing. Which ranked it. him in the top bracket of the comp, yeah. didn't it? Absolutely. And, yeah. and it's, it's even more incredible when you look at the accuracy ratings across the competition. We were dead last in accuracy ratings. We had, we had a, a goal accuracy percentage of 43% across the year, which was terrible. Don't think that'll surprise many people. No, it shouldn't, shouldn't surprise. I think the fact that we were dead last might surprise oh, yeah. a few, yeah. but um, you know, for a guy like Membry to stand up the way that he did after after what was, I guess, a bit of a down year for him last year, he missed a lot of easy shots, and we, we talked off air about you know that, that famous one from the goal square um, that, that he hit the post and missed a couple of kind of cheapies as well. He, he really straightened up, um, was a lot more accurate from that kind of 25 to 40 metre range, um, 45 degree angle to directly in front and both sides, um, and became a really valuable player for us. And I think, again, adding Marshall that forward line, bringing Max King in, um, and potentially Ryder as well, will help straighten him up even more um, and give him the op- the opportunity to to take more shots from closer to goal um, and, and kick some some easier shots, I suppose. And to add to Billings as well, I've noticed that also in in his stats, he actually had more most marks for the club this year, mm. which I I actually found quite surprising. I, that is amazing. Um, yeah, just running. I, I guess a lot of them are running around the field and picking picking kicks off sometimes, but still, we're hitting him. We're um, just yeah. I mean, he's sort of sort of the player that we need to get more of the ball. Mm. And yeah, hundred percent on the wing, delivering it in. We know he can hit a target really well. Um, but yeah, his input was vastly improved this year. Um, there's a few others we can mention, but, but worth also throwing up our um, mature age recruits. Certainly Callum Wilkie played every game. I think he's one of the first first-year players at St Kilda to ever do that. So there would have been a couple, but not many. Uh, Nick Hind, back half of the year, was impressive. And obviously Matty Parker, particularly first half of the year. So yeah, our mature age recruits were, were handy. How do we rate Dean Kent's year? 
Dean Kent was was useful. I, I I'm not sure that he was. A very poor finisher in front of very, goal for someone that's poor. a good kicker around the ground. Yeah, but, very poor. But he he was involved in a yeah. lot of scoring opportunities. I think he was our to the point that he got injured in round twelve or whatever 12, it was. 13, 12, yeah. 13. I think he had the most score assists in at our club, um, and was he was useful. He was valuable. Um, he didn't finish as as I think he would have liked, and and as we would have expected him to. I, I remember him missing a couple of cheapies. Um, early on and, and had a couple of games where he kicked one goal, two, two goals, three, that sort of stuff. Um, but he had, a, he had a couple of really strong games. His game against Melbourne, his old yep. club, was, was really good. Um, and I think you know, he'll, be, he'll be better for that first half of the season come next year. Yeah, so basically, I, you pointed on that. Um, only played 13 games, but he had the second most goal assists for the season. So. Where do we put Dan Hanabry? In the end, is that a positive or does the five games have to be a negative? No, it's absolutely a positive. You've, we've seen what he can give us. Mm. Um, he's, his work off-field, we've heard, though, is has been probably more influential than what he did in those, those last five rounds anyway. Um, the likes of um, Billings and all them just working with him off the field, learning the game, learning the best spots to be in, it, it showed on the field. He, he is basically there as a playing coach almost when you look at him. Yeah, I agree. I think... You know, when you look early in the season and was it a week or two um, out from round one came the announcement that we had to totally rebuild his body again. And at that point, I think you go, well, the season's a write-off from that perspective and you take him out of the leadership group. Um, you know, there were some, some really uh, ominous signs, I think, for, from that point. But um, what, like H said, what, what he was able to do off the field with guys like Billings and Gresham um, from a leadership perspective, I think also um, he had a really big impact on guys like Josh Bruce and Membry in, in the forward line. Um, again, in a leadership perspective, how to how to train, how to look after yourself, um, how to prepare was was really important. And then you see see the impact he was able to have on the field in those last few weeks. Um, and, and you get that that's that's probably Dan Hanbury at seventy percent fitness, seventy five percent fitness. Get him back to eighty eighty five percent, and you, you think of the impact he can have on the field as well as that, like you said, on field coaching that he brings to the the, the squad. Then I think he's a really important player for us. Any other positives, or do we move on to those that perhaps stayed the same? Gresham probably more lifted midfield time. He's yeah. probably lifted what we expected, though, in the, the progress he's going to have. Yeah. Um, but I, I expect him to improve the next five, six years, really. Yeah. There are some other positives kind of outside of individual players. I think one of the things that, that I found really interesting and, and surprising late in the year was um, the way that our playing list had, had set up mm. throughout the season. and. Um, one of the things that we've spoken about, um, I guess, a, a bit at length on, on Twitter over over the journey, but, but also um, on a couple of the episodes that we've done previously, is how young our team was all year. That was, I think was probably a bit surprising to people when you look at the makeup of our squad. Um, we had the, the second most inexperienced team throughout the season um, with an average of, of 72-odd games per player um, across the playing list each week. Um, and the third youngest from, from an age perspective, the third youngest playing list all season, um, which, which is incredible, really. When you think, at, you know, we started four and one um, and ended up with, with nine wins. That, that's, when you look at it in, in that perspective, it's quite impressive that we were able to bounce back from that really kind of horrible, slow, lethargic middle of the season to bounce back to, to you know, get another couple of wins late in the season. And um, Really bodes well, I think, for, for next season too. It's kind, kind of almost reminiscent of a younger player. They generally do fly out of the blocks, um, then slow down a little bit and finish off pretty well as well. Um, so it's just basically a, a young 
kid as a group, really. I thought, um, Dun- yeah, I thought for a couple of others, Dunstan was solid enough. Bruce was good, although it appears he's played his last game for the club, although that's somewhat debatable with some of the, the news we're hearing out of St Kilda. But Jack Steele? Jack Steele was, was very good prior to that injury and then obviously finished off very well too. Um, there were some guys that were, I guess, disappointing for, for varying reasons. We'll start off with those that, that had excuses. Jake Carlisle missed a lot of footy. Jaron Geary missed a lot of footy but was very, very brave and led the side well when he was there. So that was unfortunate that you get the, the worst quirky probably of all time and then break your leg in your comeback game. Uh, Jack Stephen, the, the well-documented situation around him, uh, sort of hearing that if he doesn't get traded to Geelong, he'll retire. So I get the feeling he's played his last game for the club in any case. Um, so then really we're backed into a corner in terms of what we do. But a couple of names I want to throw at you as to how you'd rate their year. Ben Long, did he do enough? Yeah, he, he's an interesting one. He had he, he showed flashes. He had his moments. He mm. never really... I don't think he, in my eyes, took a game by the scruff of the neck and really stamped his authority on it. But he did have his – he had some really strong moments where he grabbed a clearance and kicked a goal um, or, he, or he hit someone really hard and laid a, a strong tackle. He was a good finisher. Very good finisher. Yeah. And I think he showed that um, throughout the season when, when he got his opportunity to play forward. He, he played a bit back as well off, off halfback. But when he played forward, he showed that he could be damaging. Um, but I think he, he really has to work on his consistency and his ability to, to either hit the scoreboard or, or hit the contest – more consistently throughout a game. It's got that X factor that a lot of teams like to have at least one of out there. Um, he sort of he stepped up a little bit and did a bit more when sort of Gresham moved into the midfield. Or, um, But yeah, a couple of goals that you kick from the boundary this year and that sort of thing. I mean, you look at that and go, give us one of those a week and you're in the team We're not every week. And of course, two more positives we had to mention. Hunter Clark and Josh Battle were, were two that we can be pretty excited about. Yep. Yep. I think both of those... In, they're, they're in their best 22 quite easily. Um, battle, battle improved in changing position even. Um, yeah, he, he took it took it up and just made it look like he'd been down the back line since he moved to game to us. And um, Hunter Clark, yeah, he started off a little slow, looked a bit iffy, but I think, as we said, that knock from um, Zeeble, mm. it seemed like it switched him on. Yeah, the, the Lenny <laughs> Hayes Lenny moment Hayes, again. Yeah. What, yeah, look, I think... Josh Battle, along with Cal Wilkie and, and Rowan Marshall, was really the you know the revelation of the season. I think mm. he, he looked like he's been playing defence all his life. The way that he read the ball, his, his transition movement out of out of defensive fifty, the way he hit um, leading forwards or, or hit midfields in the middle of the ground, um, and and just his courage and his his ability to impact a contest um, when he was called upon. Never took a backward step. We saw that game saving mark against Frio late in the game. Um, he also kicked a goal not long before that mm, um, yeah. to kind of mm. either put us in, in front or, or put us a goal and a couple of points ahead. Yeah. Um, a really important player and, and you know, another, another season at center half back, I think he, he could be all Australian center half back in his career based on what he showed us in, in his first year. As a Gets defender. a full season in, um, obviously he had that injury that he came back quicker than we expected him to, but Get a get a full preseason in, get a full season in, and he he's right up there amongst the best. R- reminded me of a young Goose Maguire in his first couple of years when people were comparing in, in that yeah. uh, young St Kilda team of of oh three oh four oh five. Um, Goose Maguire was kind of the next Ross Glendening, that offensive centre half back, able to take a mark, intercept, run, it's powerful, hit a, hit a target hit a sixty target. meters away, yeah. sometimes. And, and and move yeah. forward and kick a goal, that eighty meter player sort of he's, thing. He's a yep. beautiful kick of the ball, either either field kick or 
at goal. So, yep. yeah, it's really important. Two more names to throw at you. How did you rate the years of Jack Sinclair and Shane Savage? Because I've spoken a lot about how Jack Sinclair is a nice player, but one that is frustrating. I felt he dropped a little bit. Yeah. He, he was looking brilliant on the wing only a season and a half ago. Um, he was actually touted as All-Australian contention early on that season. Yeah. Um, He's just, got to average more than 16 Yeah, he just game. sort of dropped off a little bit. I don't know whether he, his game role was changed or he was put into a different position or what it was, but it, it'd be interesting to see a full season under Ratten, what he does with him. Mm. Um, but the other player, Savage, mm. he, he was very, very serviceable. Yeah. I, I've got no problem with him, and he, he did everything he had to do this year. Yeah, Jack Sinclair, I think, was one of my biggest disappointments for the season. Just like, like you said, the way that he... He played a year ago um, and really showed that he could take the next step and become a really good, solid AFL player. Again, he had his moments a bit like Ben Long and showed flashes, but um, you know, really needs to, to work on his consistency. He needs to work on his attack at the ball. Um, and he's a really skilled player. He really skilled player. can kick a goal, can hit targets. He's quick. I mean, he's, he's not overly fast, but he's, he's quick enough. Um, but he's just very inconsistent and, and doesn't show his talent enough. Um, the other one, Shane Savage, I thought was was really impressive in, in a season where our defensive unit kind of got knocked about a bit. Um, I think his his uh, disposal numbers were probably a little bit down, um, but from a leadership perspective and really marshalling that that defensive unit, especially when, when Jaron Geary went down, um, I thought he was very impressive and, and uh, was a really key part of that back unit um, and, and had a really solid year. Uh, I guess a couple that, that would fall under the banner of frustrating for a lot of people, Jack Nunes and Daniel McKenzie and Blake Akers. Do we put those three in the same category almost? Similar, very similar. Um, I th- well, McKenzie probably not as highly touted as the no, other two. No. Um, but I think it, Nunes looked a little bit better under Ratton. Um, I think he, tag, he started the tag, yeah. yeah. He was another one who was sort of played out of position, I feel. Um it was a different role to what it was two years ago when he was looking very good. Uh, and he, as a lot of people have said to me, he's been played out of position. And I think once we actually go, okay, this is his role, this is what he's got to do, I think he can step back up again. Mm, I think it, you look at what happened with, with Jack Steele a season and a half ago and, and that move to that kind of defensive uh, midfielder role, something like that could I think could really help Jack Nunes. I think he's he's got a big body to run through the middle. He can match up on some of those bigger midfielders. Um he's a good kick of the ball from all that he's showed us in the last kind of 18 months. He can kick the ball really well. He's courageous. Um he he has all the tools to yep. be a really yep. good AFL player and I think potentially simplify his role and and make him go with run with the opposition best midfielder. He's got the tank to do it. He's got the size to do it and the strength. Give it to him for for half a season. Tell him that role is yours, and and free up Steel potentially to use some of his offensive weapons um, in, in forward half of, of the ground. Um, could be beneficial to us and, and beneficial to, to Nunes as well. Uh, the following, do you think any of the following players are likely to make it long term? Ben Patton, Dalton Langlands, or Ed Phillips? I don't know what's going on with Phillips. He came into the team and looked like he had a position, but then all of a sudden he was gone. Um, this year, what did he play? Uh, played four games. Um, yeah, averaged 15 disposals, but where is he now? Um, but Langlands, I think, does have a position. He looks like he can play the game quite well. 
Um, still very young, obviously first mm. season. So he, he came from as a it was a rookie pick, I believe. Yeah. 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 Um, obviously, yeah, came in, kicked the first goal, and looked looked likely. And I, th- I think he he can make it. A, I'm I'm a bit confused as to what his best position is on on the field. Mm. I think maybe he could be a really strong-bodied wingman. Um, yep. I think he's got to build his tank, but he's kind of known for his size and strength and his kicking ability. Obviously, he had that famous uh, missed shot at training to to get his spot into the in, in his first game. Um, made amends when he when he actually did play his first game and kicked that goal. But um, he, he looks he looks a likely type, but I just don't know where he fits on, on the field. I think he we've got a number of those similar sort of players that that play similar roles. Ben Patton's one that I, I, I think can really stick and, and be a you know, 100, 150-game player yeah, for us. I, I, I think he's in the team. He's... Really, he really showed some some good composure for a, a young kid coming in when, when your captain gets injured and, and misses a lot of footy to really take that kind of back pocket, halfback flank spot and, yeah. and make that position his own and, and really attack the ball hard, delivered well out of defence. Um, and from a leadership perspective, really showed that he's got what it takes. Yeah, you can almost group those players in, in the way that they're there if we lose a player or for when players move on. Um, they've all got the ability; all all can slide into the team. There's just that player ahead of them at the moment. Yeah, um, it, it does speak to our depth and, and yeah. what our depth is is coming to. And I think that there is enough there that we can, you know, we can be competitive most weeks, I think, yeah. um, if, if not better than that. But, um, well, the best thing is having that depth and players pushing each other to get the spots. That's that's what we need. Yeah, and I think we talk about going back to some of the, the frustrations of, of the year and, and the players that were frustrating, potentially had, had reasons or issues. And, and I always go back to Jake Carlisle. I've, I've talked a lot about Jake Carlisle on, on this podcast in, uh, over the weeks that we've done it. And he, he's copped a lot of flack from, from St Kilda fans and, and supporters and, and members over his performances in those last, I guess, 10 weeks of the season. I think it's really important to remember that Jake Carlisle had no right to play football this year. At all. No. no. His, yeah. his back was so damaged. And the surgery that he had to, to I think it was to relieve pressure on, on a nerve in his back, was so severe and so serious that he wasn't expected to play football at all this season. No. And for him to get back and play eight or ten games is a really impressive effort. Yeah. And I think... Beat people, Tom Lynch in one of those games too. Yeah, and, mm. and I think people forget how good he can be when he's in full flight, when he's fit and healthy. Um, he's one of the best key defenders or key forwards, wherever you decide to play him, in the competition. Um, he can kick a goal, great hands, solid, reads the ball really well. Um, he's just got to get his body right because if he can get his legs set in the ground and really, really run across turf and be able to push off to, to fly for marks or spoils or, or get to a contest, um, he, he can be a big difference maker for us. Uh, do a segment sometimes on radio called Buy, Hold and Sell. Now, I know it's putting you on the spot a little bit, but for each of you, a player you're buying on the basis of the year, a player you're just holding and a player you're selling because you can't have them. For, uh, for next year. Does it ever have a buy, hold, and sell? So for me, my buy would be on the basis of the year, because I know there's some obvious ones out there, but buying Hunter Clark. I'm holding Jack Loney only because of the way he started the year on the back of that injury where uh, he landed awkwardly against Adelaide. So he struggled in the back half of the year with the exception of the Bulldogs game. But holding that, and for me, I'm selling Blake Akers. Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, you have put us on the spot a little bit, but uh, yeah. thanks for that. Apologies. Um, so I'm, I'm <laughs> buying Luke Dunstan. Mm-hmm. I thought his second half of the season in particular was very strong. 
Um, I think he improved his um, around-the-ground work. His disposal efficiency was, was much improved. And we all know that he can, he can hit a contest. He can hit a man. Um, he can win the ball. It's, it's all about what he did off the ball um, that he had to improve, and I think he did that. Um, I'm holding Blake Akers only because I know his talent level, mm. um, and I'm loath to, to let him go. I think if the right offer came along you know, from a Frio to, to help get Brad Hill over the line yeah. or in a separate deal, you know, you get offered a high second rounder or a you know, low first, it's probably unlikely. But something like that comes along, you, you really have to look at it. But he's he's very talented. He's just got to put it all together. And he reminds me of a, a young Brendan Goddard in his first couple of years. So I'm, I'm holding Blake Akers. Sell is a really tough one. Um, Dan McKenzie, I think, has kind yeah. of lost his lost his spot. I think there's a few kids coming through, like as we've just spoken about, Patton and, and Langlands and um, some of the other kids. Caulfield especially that, that I think plays similar positions or similar roles that have overtaken him now. I think he's he's really hard at it and a really honest, really honest player. Um, he's on 49 games for us, which is a shame that he potentially might not hit 50. But, um, you know, I think there are teams that, that would look for a player like like McKenzie. Um, but I think that his uh, his role is probably up for grabs with, with a few other more talented guys. Yeah, and I reckon we've got about... There's five to six untouchables at the top. Mm-hmm. I'd be buying Jack Steele. Yeah. I, I, you've got to lock him in. That, mm-hmm. That's a player that you cannot let go let, for anything, I don't think. Um, there's nothing more than that. Um, holding, holding Dunstan. Yeah. He, he, he fits into the team. He does his job. He does what he's asked. Um, he, he drops off occasionally, but you know his ability's there. Um, and I agree with the... Dan McKenzie, he's he, he's probably going to get pushed out, um, but it appears that way now. Yeah, yeah, I, I I don't think we'd be able to get much for him though. That's the problem. Um, it'd be only a late pick or something like that, or a, a fringe player who's at another club as well. That's in a different position, kind of thing. Um, a, a team that might need a, a smaller running back, and compared to ours, who we need a, a small running wing or something like that, mm. that who both on the fringe, but. I don't see us getting much. It's part of our review. We're now going to hear from the St Kilda skipper, who I was lucky enough to catch up with a week or so ago for Sonorama St Kilda. Thanks for a few to get in front. To half It is our pleasure to catch up with the skipper this week on Unplugged, Jaron Geary. Thanks for jumping on with us. How are you going? Now, it was a difficult year. Started off very well. Uh, some injury concerns along the way for, for you personally. Captaining a very young group in, in transition post-Nick Rewald. How's the, the challenge been for you along the way? Oh, it certainly does. I've, I've got to have, you know, my first few years, when you first come into the footy club, you're just worried about yourself and <laughs> trying to, you know, get a kick and trying to establish yourself as a player. But, um, you know, sort of later on in your career, you, you, you've got an idea of where everyone is sitting on the list and how they're going mentally or, you know, they've got things going on at home that you need to be aware of. So um, when you're an older player and, and certainly the captain, you've got to have your head around those things, which, um, you know, is, is challenging at times because you've still got to prepare and, and play well yourself. So um, there's a bit going on, but you've just got to... Work through it with the players and, and just make sure you're there for them if they need you. Do you enjoy that challenge? Yeah, I do. I, I do enjoy it. I enjoy the, the captaincy um, of the footy club. It's something that I struggled with 
um, embracing early because of the names that have come before me. But um, over the last couple of years, I've certainly um, become more comfortable with that. And and like I said, I've become a lot more comfortable with that. I, I know I'm not going to sit up there with the, the great um, captains in terms of names that have come before me, but I certainly can leave the club in a, in a, in a better place um, the way I lead now and into the future. So that's what my focus is. It was obviously a tough year with, with Richo being moved on. How did you go about, I guess, taking on that challenge? I, it was a little bit harder for me because I wasn't playing a lot and I couldn't I couldn't really be out there to um, you know to help uh, you know get past that. But it's always tough when you lose your coach. I think the club handled it really well. I think Richo handled it really well. Um, he had six years where he he's got us in a position now where I feel like we're we're in a, we're in a really good place and, and our rats takes over who's um, you know had a seamless transition really. I mean it's tough when you take over from someone that you really have worked with for a long time respect for and you're a mate so he was a mate of Richo's and he's taken over from him so but he did a great job Rats and I'm really excited to have him Um, the boys love him Uh, he's going to be challenging as a coach he's already demanded that we improve in Mm. a lot of areas which he's been public about which is great and I'm really excited to have him on board. And I understand post-2018 you had a heart-to-heart with uh, with Richo about, I guess, the direction of the club at that point? Yeah, that was at the end of last year, and we had a disappointing year. And it, it wasn't the first time I'd given him feedback. Obviously, coach and captain uh, continually give each other feedback, and um, it was probably just the nature in which he got that feedback. I think he was over in America, and it was a letter, and um, it was just you know a little bit of a critique of the year and what I thought he could do better. So it, it, it's probably been built up to be a bit more um, abrasive and abrupt than what it was, but I think it was just because it was a little bit um, confronting mm. for him in the in the um, space he was at that it, it got a lot of airtime. So as we look to 2019, Brett Ratton at the helm, we know there'll be some significant list changes which are still to play out, but just personally for you, how are the, the confidence levels? I mean, we, uh, well, we end up winning nine games this year. We would we would have loved to have won a few more. We had our, our challenges uh, throughout the year and... Uh, we, you know, we lost a few players to, to injury throughout the year. So I think if we can have a healthy list, add a few players through the draft and trade period, then and improve on uh, this year, then we'll we'll um, we'll go okay. I know you're the, the captain, and you you may or may not stay away from these list management type areas. But uh, what type of player would you be looking to recruit? I think we've got a good nucleus of younger players now. So add a bit more experience would be nice. There's not too many older players still left on the list, so we can add some um, probably some outside run. Uh, through the midfield, some some class through the midfield, and um, that'll certainly help. So I think that's what we'll target. Dan Hanabry's first year, the, the five games, but was really going well towards the back end of the year. Can you give us an insight into his impact on and off field? Yeah, oh, I think he, he had a frustrating year, Dan. Um, came to the club, obviously, as a highly prized recruit um, and, and wasn't able to get there, out there as often as he, he would have liked, but he certainly had an impact off the field with the, the help of developing some of the younger boys. So, you know, you look at the best and fairest, for example, and there's, you know, three or four guys that get up there, the younger guys that really say that Hannah's was a, a key reason why they started to perform well in the back half of the year. So Hunter Clark, Nick Caulfield, um, Ben Patton, they did a lot of work with Dan. So his impact on their, their years is, um, you know, something that he should be proud of because those guys end up finishing pretty strongly. The Jack Stephen situation, the, the will he, won't he with Geelong and, and all of those um, toing and froing, and, and we, we know that 12 months ago it was a very real prospect, and this has been a hard year for for Jack. Uh, how much have you spoken to him about where he's at? Oh, we've had dis- discussions uh, more about how he's been going. I mean, he's had a tough year, um, you know, mentally, and that's you know that's been communicated to everyone. So, um, you know, I just you wrap your arms around him and and, and make sure he's doing okay, um, you know, in that space. And footy's a an outcome of 
um, you know, his happiness. So if he, if he's happy in his life and he, he's playing good footy, then then that's all I really care about. He's got a young family that he, he wants to look after and, and care for, and he needs to be in a good headspace for that. Um, you know, you can't keep prodding them if they don't want to talk to you about it. Um, to Jack's credit, he he was very open with it and 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 quite courageous in, in coming out and speaking to us when it got to a point where it was too much for him. So, and the other, you know, the message that to our players is that. It, it doesn't discriminate. He's a guy who's, you know, a four-time best and fairest winner, plays really good footy week in, week out. So it's, it's, it's. Don't be, you know, game to, to come year. out and, and say if you've got issues because it happens to everyone. It happens to the, you know, to blokes that you think are seemingly happy in their lives and 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 in their football careers. But it's 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 more than just footy that tips people over the edge. Just a few others before we we wrap things up. David Rath obviously coming across formally at, at Hawthorne, uh, a good addition to the group. Yeah, he's a great addition um, at Hawthorne for a long time. Alex de Clarkson and then um, obviously at the AFL uh, for eighteen last 18 months. I think he was part of the coaching selection panel to get Rat. So a great addition. Um, he'll he'll help our coaches out, um, you know, with, with his knowledge and his expertise. And, um, you know, he'll also help the development of our coaches going forward. We've spoken about it a bit on our show today and, and obviously at length over recent times. How tough has the spud news been for the, the boys to, to process? Oh, um, extremely tough. He's uh, had a massive impact on the on the on the footy club over a number of generations. And since I've been at the footy club, I haven't met someone uh, who's had that impact over so many generations of players. I think probably um, probably four generations, really. You know, when he when he was playing and, and to now. So to have been able to do that and have that impact on not only uh, players but fans is is, is huge. Now, Danny's spent a lot of time down at the club recently as a as an assistant and, and skills coach and a very passionate St Kilda man and, and you as a captain and a defender would have certainly been one of his favourites I'm sure. How did you find out the news? I got a phone call um, from the footy club um, the, the day it happened so it was a, um, a phone call to yeah let me know that that was what had happened and and um, how we went about conveying that message to the players. Obviously we're on leave at the moment um, and it you know, we want the players needed to, to know because they've had so much to do with Spud. So, um, you know, it was it was how we convey the message in um, the most appropriate way. He he was so passionate about the footy club that um, he always, whenever he spoke about the footy club, he almost, well, he did, he almost teared up. So he, he, he still had his last plane jumper a couple of years ago. He took a group of uh, myself and the first-year players down to his um, house in Indented Heads um, on the Ball- Ballerine Peninsula, and um, he bought out his last jumper, which still stunk of... <laughs> him and his playing days and um, had beer and everything all over it. He hadn't washed it. And um, as soon as he picked it up and started talking about it, he started crying. He just loved the footy club. He was so emotional about St Kilda um, as a club and he just wanted the club to succeed so much. So whenever we brought new players into the footy club, ever since I've um, taken over as captain, I've always got Spud to come down and, yeah. and speak to him just because of the way he spoke about the footy club. Using things like Wednesday, for example, when you, you saw that enormous support at Moorabbin and the, the lap of honour and the, the tears in the crowd but when you talk about building a legacy is that something where you can sort of sell it to players and say well look this is a guy that meant so much to the club 25 years after he retired still leaving this mark on, on football this is how significant it can be for you in your career? Yeah absolutely and and being back at Moorabbin probably gives us that opportunity so such a special place for St Kilda fans and supporters and players and past players so being able to have a place like that where all our fans can come together and celebrate you know, a grade of the footy club is is has been um, so important for the footy club to get back to Moorabbin. So we'll be, we can tell stories about the footy club now. Whereas um, being able to have a place like that and then being able to um, send your legends away and 
and and show people that you know come together at a place that's the heart and soul of this footy club is is, is really important. How's the leg also after a couple of setbacks? Oh, it's it's taking its time to be honest. It it, it hasn't been the uh, the smoothest of recoveries. It, it was hopeful that I'd get surgery and be bouncing back pretty quick, but I've had three surgeries on that now and hopefully no more. So I'm starting to get moving now and um, hopefully uh, from now on it starts to progress pretty strongly. The club copped a bit of heat for even taking you over for that game, coming off the long injury from, from the Corky. Was it just purely and simply misfortune in, in injuring yourself again or, or was there perhaps a, a temptation to maybe think, well, when we're back in Australia, I'll come back the following week? Yeah, I think I was, I was right to go. Uh, to be honest, it was probably my fault. I was just, I didn't, I'd, I'd probably um, thought I, I didn't know why I thought I could run down the middle of the ground and just lope around thinking that no one was going to chase me. Connor Rosie snuck up on me and I kicked the back of my leg. So um, it was more my fault, really. I just, uh, my game sense and game awareness at the time was, was pretty poor. So um, I was right to go. In You know, you, you, maybe in hindsight you, you, you could have waited another week, but it wouldn't have been because my leg wasn't right. It would have just been the fact that we were in China. But, um, you know, I played because I was ready to go. How quickly did the first corky develop? Because we saw the incident where you sort of half smothered the ball at the top of the goal square and then what was it immediately after the game that that started to become apparent that that situation was was far worse than a normal corky i probably took a little bit longer i felt sick throughout the back end of the game walking off so there was something going on i felt a bit sick but then i didn't really get that in the really bad pain until probably a couple of probably when i was driving home um i started to get you know a bit of pain and then had something to eat and then looked in the mirror and it it was quite large and said to my wife and she didn't care and then (laughs) she started to care a little bit once she saw how big it was and how much pain I was in so you know I think we played a day game and then I was in hospital by about 11 and then operated on by about two so a couple that hurt the club over the course of the year one was Paddy McCartan obviously that was an emotional one a lot of people heard him speak about sort of what he was going through he was at Moorabbin with the the boys on Wednesday as part of that funeral how's he sort of tracking along in terms of I guess his ambitions to play again and, and even the impacts that he was having after that knock in Ballarat yeah he seems to be going better than he was um at the you know through that middle stage of the year, uh, he went over to the states and sort of got some answers uh, that he was looking for. But they're still working through that, so I'm not sure when they'll get a um, you know definitive answer on what his future looks like. We're hopeful he'll be able to um, play with us next year, but they'll, they'll they'll keep working through that. And Dylan Robertson, I guess the the other one, which is the scarier one in in a way, given sort of how all that is. Is it a case that? You can train okay, but when you get into match intensity, that's where it starts to be a problem. Is there any word on, on how he's going? Uh, I think it's um, probably a little bit more positive than we probably thought. Again, he went over to America and, and chances, and he probably got a little bit more clarity on that. So um, he's continuing to train now, which is which is good. So I think they'll uh, they'll continue to look at um, what's best for Dylan and 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 how he how he can get out there on the on the park again. And um, I think they're they're pretty hopeful that it, it might be more positive than than it was what it was looking like. Well, Jaron, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, I'm sure I speak on behalf of everyone and wish you all the best. And hope you can hit preseason full swing with some some nice inclusions and that eight year finals drought will be a little bit closer to ending. Will do. Thanks, mate. So there was Jaron Geary there. Uh, Nick, tough year for, for the skipper. Yeah, it was. He, he missed a lot of footy. I think he, he does lead the club from the front. I think he yeah. he does inspire on the field. I think he's really courageous. He's strong at the contest, and he knows exactly what his role is. Not the most flashy of players, but um, I think he's done a serviceable job. I, I'd like to kind of put you guys on the spot now and, and ask what you think about him as, as captain and, and the leadership potential on our list. Is, is he still the right man to, to captain the club? 
I think right now he is. I know Seb Ross captained 15, 16, 17 games or something last year, but yeah, until that next wave comes through, whether that next wave is Marshall or Dunstan or Clark, I would st- certainly go with Geary. I still think the the courage he showed in, in those circumstances was uh, was fairly inspiring. Yeah, unless we brought in someone who is basically captain material. His, his experience at the club, the time he's been there, he has the knowledge of what the club's about um, a lot more than these younger guys who are coming through who I, I assume he'll groom one to become the next captain. Um, there's there's no one that you'd go right now, they should be in before him really. Yeah, I think I think he gets another year. I think he gets another year to kind of prove that he's he's the mm. guy or to, to let someone else put their hand up. And, and the obvious one is Dan Hanabry. He's 28. He'll be 29 next season. Is he... Too old to take up that mantle after another year. Mm. If, if he yeah. plays a full season, I wouldn't put it on him. I wouldn't put it on him. I'd, I'd be looking more towards. Well, Jack Steele, man. Yeah, I'd be looking yeah. at Jack Steele. Yeah. Smokey. I, yeah. yeah. I think he's the guy. I think he needs another year in, and potentially stick him in the leadership group yeah. this year and give him, and give him a taste of that because I think five, he plays the right way. Four or five years at the club and then go. He's your Sakilda. His footy style on on the ground is is really relevant to captaincy in the way that he attacks the ball, gets to the contest. And he's always um, in the middle. Always in the middle. He's, yep. he's around the ball. Um, and and he's, he's quite vocal as well on yep. the field and, and kind of pushing players in the right direction, telling people where they should be. Um, whether or not he has the off-field capability or, or even want to, to take on that sort of responsibility, mm. we, we don't know. But um, from a pure on-field perspective, he, he's probably my my second um, second pick after a guy like Hanabry, who's who we know has the the capacity to do it, um, but steal from a, a bit of an unknown. I'd only probably look at Hanbury if all of a sudden Geary retired right at this moment. That's um, mm. just the experience. He he's the one to be there at the moment, I think. And now we are running a little short of time, but a bit of trade discussions to, to talk about as well. It is conceivable that St Kilda will go into round one with the additions of Brad Hill, Paddy Ryder, Zach Jones, Max King. Jaron Geary, Jimmy Webster, Nick Caulfield from players that didn't play, obviously, in the uh, Bytel uh, potentially in the uh, in the back end of the year, whether Dean Kent would still be in the mix. Hopefully, uh, another refreshed Carlisle, a refreshed Hanabry. Um, so those things obviously give you a, a fair reason for, for excitement. But one that sort of floated through, we, we think we'll get Jones, we think we'll get Ryder, we'll eventually get Hill. It'll be a, a bit of a pain in the ass dealing with Freo, but we'll, we'll get there eventually. I don't think Jack Stephen will play for us again, unfortunately. Um, Josh Bruce looks likely to the Bulldogs. Keen to get your thoughts on that. But one that's come out of left field by a friend of ours, of, of late Mark McGowan at, at AFL Media, is that St Kilda have had a couple of conversations with Dougal Howard from mm, Port Adelaide. Port, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I heard that this afternoon. Yeah, really yeah. interesting one. I think, I think that kind of talks to uh, a bit of uncertainty about Nathan Brown's capacity to go around again. Yeah. Um, I think... Yeah, and Robertson maybe. And yeah. potentially Robertson. I think there's been a lot of talk from... I guess from from the fan base about does this spell the end of of Carlisle's time at, at Moorabbin and, and I don't think so. No. Um, no. As, as we've said in previous podcasts, Carlisle's contracted. They triggered his extension. I think they they have all best mates um, with Ryder too. Best mates with Ryder and is one of the key reasons that Ryder mm. chose St Kilda from, from all reports. Um, and you know I think they have every intention of playing him in, in key position next season. But uh, Nathan Brown is is a different. Um, kettle of fish and I think that the addition of someone like Dougal Howard who plays the same role is a lot younger um, but a lot more agile moves around the ground a lot better um, from an intercept perspective is a lot better in, the, in that role and, and I think it, it, it kind of speaks to a bit of uncertainty about Nathan Brown. Yeah I'd say Brown may be a depth player now. 
Um, if at if all. If we're able to get him in, he, I think he'd be sitting in Sandringham and that'd be a bit of depth for us. Um, but would that then rule out? Because, I mean, they'd be two players from Port. Would that rule out Sam Gray? Is that off the cards now? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. Uh, I wouldn't be totally against that. He's a savvy goal kicker, yep, yep. Sam Gray. Feel like that would be an upgrade on Loney potentially. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Would, would have, Can yeah. also play a bit further up the ground in a Sinclair type of role. Yeah, I, I wonder if one of them might be the one that we'd probably give maybe give up for him. Yeah, I wonder if if there's any other players that we haven't kind of spoken about that might be used as bait for for a port kind of deal. I mean, we know Dunstan's been talked about in trade talks in previous News years as being, well, being from News South Australia, well, actually being from South Australia. Yeah. Um, Dunstan could be one to potentially. He's contracted. Um, but you could could imagine uh, Dunstan going to Port in return um, for Howard and Gray. Dunstan and pick and, and, and yeah, a yep, pick. Yeah. Yep. Um, I, I wonder if there's something else at, at play, kind of going on behind the scenes. Well, I think Nunes was linked to Sydney. Yeah, possibly. he was yep. to the Swans somewhere along the way. Whether that's involved in Zach Jones, given we don't have a lot of draft picks. Yeah, uh, I think we're picked. Six and then, which was pick five, but pick six and then 50-odd after that. So, um, And I guess just a final one, any concerns over trading a popular player in Josh Bruce, who's a bit of a heart and soul? Uh, surely he's worth more than 32, but that's what we're hearing. Yeah. I mean, you sort of look at that, and I was first looking and hearing going, why is this happening? Mm. What, what What is going on? We know what he means to the club and what the club means to him. Mm. What What has happened for that to be what he wants to do. Has he seen ahead or knows what's happening ahead for him to go, I don't have a spot. That, yeah. that is the only thing I can think of. Yeah. I'm not sure what's happened. I mean, some of the whispers that the, the club told him in his exit interview that he wasn't going to be a required player. Um, and that, that he was happy to, um, I guess, shop himself around to, to some potential clubs. Um, yeah, it's, it is a strange one. I think there's obviously some um, some forward looking to, to Max King, potentially Ben King in, in a future year. Um, Paddy Ryder and Marshall obviously playing forward as well, potentially uh, squeezing someone out of that forward line. Um, the, I think from a, a club perspective that the issue will be what does the fan base and the membership think about trading out a guy like Josh Bruce for a pick in the 30s or 40s or 50s even, um, as is being talked about. Um, we've heard the rumours about the, the pick from the Bulldogs for Bruce going straight to Sydney for, for Jones, which I'm, I must admit I'm not a fan of. I think that a player Bruce like Josh Jones, Bruce is, yeah. is much more valuable than, yep. than Zach Jones. I think a, a key forward who was top five in the league for contested marks, kicked 35-odd goals for a team that finished in, in the bottom half of the, the table, um, is much more valuable than, I guess, a, a quick run-of-the-mill, um, you know, Halfback flanker um, that that you can get. You know there are a number of them across the league um, that that you could target. So I'm not a fan of a straight swap essentially for Bruce for Jones, yep. but you know, th- there's yeah. some room to move and there's some potential um, potential things to come into play with pick swaps and and that sort of stuff that could come into play between us and the Bulldogs and potentially even the Bulldogs pick twelve. Yeah, if we get it, if we could mm. somehow end up with a pick in that second round from all what happens and everything, that sort of thing, that, that'd be perfect. But it's just a matter of who pulls what strings, mm. really. Um, but I'd, I'd like to be thinking there's a pick somewhere coming in with Jones if that becomes the mm. the pick the trade for, for Bruce. Uh, well, 
That's uh, about it for us. We could dedicate an entire program to trades, and we may well do that coming shortly. We've got a couple of big-name guests in the pipeline, so we'll hopefully we'll bring you those over coming weeks. Obviously, the trade period officially ramps up next week, uh, where the whips do start to crack. Uh, the draft not too far away either. We're not sure what hands St Kilda will have in that, depending on how this trade period falls. But uh, thanks, guys. been a, an emotional couple of months for the club, but um, hopefully some positive times ahead. Let's hope so. Let's get some deals done and swing into 2020. Well, this has been our Unplugged 2019 season review show brought to you by our friends at Signoramas and Kilda, the only name you need to know for any kind of sign or visual display, from A-boards to billboards, vehicle wraps and signs for any business from coffee shops to corporate conglomerates. If you are in business and you need a sign, and Sinorama St Kilda is the place to go. Just Google St Kilda Signs or head to stkildasigns.com.au and tell them Unplugged sent you. That's stkildasigns.com.au for all your business and corporate signage. We're going to finish this week's edition of Unplugged with a special tribute put together for the one and only Danny Spud Frawley. It's just such a heavy heart when you wake up this morning and and realise it wasn't a bad dream yesterday. He just transcended the Mm. game in that his infectiousness and his heart and his sense of purpose. I'm very honoured and proud to be Captain Rob and uh, hopefully I can lead by example out in the ground. My first memory of of Spud was with Ruzi when they used to go around Victoria and do the Victorian super clinics and uh, and, and come come into the the ground and send Spud and then 20 20 years later I I was doing the same thing with him. When we're going around uh, uh, country Victoria yeah. on the Toyota regional bus tours and looked at those kids and I, thought, I saw myself in those kids. I thought, 20 years ago I was doing that and uh, Spud, Spud's still bringing a smile to these kids' faces. Rawley's a mean fullback, tough but honest. He's a star on a side that has finished bottom of the pile the last three years. Campbell about to shoot towards goal. Campbell goes long. Into the 10 metre square, saviour of the Saints is Brawley, the pullback. I thought I couldn't leave this lifestyle, I'd be like a, a lost sheep. And what's so good about this lifestyle? Oh, well, you haven't got the hustle and bustle of the city. Yeah. And you've got the fresh air out here. It's great, isn't it? It's unbelievable. Pretty chilly. Oh, well, you've picked a bad day. But, <laughs> but most importantly, Danny was a devoted husband to Anita and a very proud father to his girls who we love so much, Chelsea, Danielle and Keely. Girls, we can't know your pain or the devastating loss that you feel right now. But please know that the football world, particularly all of us here at Fox Footy, loved and admired your father, not for just being a great footballer, which he was, but more importantly, for being a very decent man above all else, a man you could trust, a man you could rely on. Be proud of your father. He was a great entertainer, a confidant and friend to many. I've heard after he won the three-peat of the Golden Fish Chief, he's going over to Hollywood and that um, good... <laughs> that guy, Martin Corcasey, the, Martin Corcasey, the um, director. Martin, Martin Scorsese. Who? Yeah, him. I was breathless when I found out about Trevor Barker. He, that was a slow burn, but uh, for Spud... This was such a shock. Oh, what a magnificent up. round for all the defenders out there. Defence wins premiership. No, entertain. We're going to start off with some ear massages. This yeah, is the biggest story of the last 25 years. <laughs> Dylan Grimes headlines on the sun every paper tomorrow. Grimes hasn't got a vote. 
But guess what? He gets three golden fist votes. So that's an O chief. One vote is worth eight brown low votes because that's 24 for him. So cop that up, boys. As a mental health advocate, he was a beacon of hope for many who needed it more than he will ever know. He would often describe himself as just a spud farmer from Bungaree, but he was so much more than that. Spud, you've left a hole that will be impossible to fill because there will only ever be one Danny Frawley. It's far too premature and it hurts so much right now, but know that you've left an enormous mark. Don't be afraid to give a guy a hug. Not as a smarty pants, just as a, as a show of, um, you know, I'm, I'm here for you. I'm blessed looking back now of the life I've had.